the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. She worships while she waits. Man, do we need to learn this. She worships while she waits. She doesn't worship when she gets, I mean, she worships when she gets the answer. But she worships even before that. Why? Because she's just praising God for His worth. That's what worship is. It's worth-ship. God is worthy of our praise for who He is. And so she's worshiping Him for who He is. Worship is about praising the Lord's worth. It is about recognizing who He is, and not necessarily what He has done or what He can do for us. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to worship God before the blessings come. Worship Him for just being loving, generous, and present in your life. When we honor God through our actions, words, and how we live our lives every day, it shows God and everyone around us our dedication and utter awe in the magnificent presence in our lives, Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Verse 19, and then they rose early in the morning, she and her husband, and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That's, of course, I'm reading New King James. That's kind of the King James way of saying that they were intimate together. And he knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, Shmuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. So the Lord heard. So that's Samuel's name there. So she names him Samuel because the Lord heard her prayer. I want to just pause there before we read through the rest of the, this chapter and maybe, maybe into chapter two, depending on how much time we have. And, and I want to just point out a few things that I think are important for us to learn from her example, because Hannah is a wonderful example of, of someone who endured adversity and came out on the other side to be a good example for us. She, she models for us not, not only what to do in response to the painful matter of infertility, but she models for us how to manage life's deep disappointments. And so I just want to point out a few things here uh, from 
her example, and then we'll get back to our story. But I'm pulling this from chapter one, and there are four things that she models for us. Prayer, perseverance, praise, and patience. And so I just want to look at each of these four things very briefly. The first is prayer. Hannah was a praying woman. You will notice with me in chapter 1, verse 10, verse 12, verse 13, verse 16, verse 26, and verse 27. All those verses speak about Hannah praying. She was a praying woman. She was committed to pray, not just because she wanted a child, although she did. That was obviously part of it. But she prayed because she knew that it was the only remedy to a hurting heart. She knew. She describes herself in verse 10 as a woman with bitterness of soul. She describes herself in verse 11 as a woman of affliction. She describes herself in verse 15 as a woman uh, with, who is sorrowful in spirit. Verse 16, a woman in grief. Okay, so this is how she describes herself. This is real. This is how she feels. This is her life experience. And the only one that can heal all that is God. This is what she knows. Her husband can't heal the deepest issues of her heart. Her friends can't heal the deepest issues of her heart. No no counselor can heal the deepest issues of her heart. The priest Eli can't heal the deepest issues of her heart. The only one who can is the Lord. And sometimes we go to all kinds of lengths to try to get healing for her heart. And we forget that the one who can really minister healing is the Lord himself. And we need to be praying people because Hannah understood that the one who's going to really soothe my hurting heart like no one else can is the Lord. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with sharing with other people and getting them to pray with you. And, um, and getting their, you know, their encouragement and maybe they'll have a verse every now and again to kind of lift your spirit. And so that's fine. The Bible talks about this in Galatians 6 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. First Thessalonians 5 11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you were doing. But the point is that all the encouragement, comfort and counsel of another human being cannot be a substitute for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that happens in your heart through prayer. And she is a praying woman. She understands the friend that she has in the Lord. This is a hymn of our faith, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So Hannah understood this. The deep need of my heart and the ache of my soul, I need to give to God and I need to seek his face. And that's what she does. She's a praying woman. So prayer is important. When we're going through some kind of adversity or some kind of difficulty, she models this for us. The other thing she models for us is perseverance. And by that, I mean that she continued to seek the Lord despite what other people were saying around her. You know, when you look at the different people who were speaking into her life, they weren't encouraging. You know, first her husband, we pointed out there, Elkanah questions, why are you crying? And, you know, aren't I better than 10 sons? And so she has to hear that. And that doesn't help. 
And then, and then of course, Penina provokes her. We already read that in verse six. Uh, that irritates her. That hurts her. She's weeping. Uh, Penina is one of the first trash talkers of the Bible. And so, you know, there she is just heaping all this insult on Hannah. And so Hannah's dealing with that. And then she goes to church and the pastor misjudges her. The priest here, Eli, looks at her and says, you're drunk, woman. You've been drinking too much. She goes, I promise I haven't been hitting the sauce. And he goes, yeah, you have. She goes, no, I haven't. You know, I'm just praying to God and pouring out my soul unto the Lord. And so think about what she had to put up with. The people around her weren't very encouraging. You know, Elkanah tries, but, you know, he, he, he doesn't. And Penina intentionally hurts her. And Eli is misjudging her. And she's, she's hearing all this. And yet she perseveres through it. She doesn't let what other people say, some with good intentions, some with bad intentions, dissuade her from just trusting God in the moment. She pours out her heart to the Lord and she continues to just trust the Lord and persevere. And then the other thing that she models for us here is praise. I love in verse 19, if you look again at verse 19, where it says, uh, and then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and then returned and came to their house at Ramah. There she is worshiping the Lord before God has answered her prayer. Do you ever find that hard to do? It's easy to worship the Lord when he answers your prayer just how you want him to. But how about when he doesn't seem to answer your prayer? How about when, when the heavens seem like brass? You're not getting an answer and God seems to be silent. How easy is it to worship? And yet she does. She worships while she waits. Man, do we need to learn this? She worships while she waits. She doesn't worship when she gets, I mean, she worships when she gets the answer, but she worships even before that. Why? Because she's just praising God for his worth. That's what worship is. It's worthship. God is worthy of our praise for who he is. And so she's worshiping him for who he is. And she's able to separate her desire, her request from the character and nature of God. Because even if God does not answer my prayer the way I want, it does not change his character and his nature. He is just and holy and true and loving in all his ways. He is perfect and he is worthy of our praise. She doesn't wait until he gives the answer. She worships him even before he answers. She sets a good example for us. And then the last thing I think is important also to point out is her patience. Because verse 20 says... So it came to pass in the process of time. I think NIV says in the course of time. It came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son. But she had to wait in the process of time. It doesn't say immediately. It doesn't say the next month. It doesn't even say soon thereafter. It says in the process of time. David would say in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and, and in his word I put my hope. So there are many things that we would like now. 
And yet we have to learn the discipline of waiting upon the Lord for his perfect timing. We talked about this a little bit. God is never late. God is always on time. And so we need to trust him that in the course of time, he's going to accomplish his good purposes. You know, for some of you who maybe you struggle with infertility, perhaps your child is already born. And maybe God wants that child to be adopted into a loving Christian home. You know, we we just don't know how God might answer prayer in the course of time. But we have to be patient, knowing that he always has our best interest in mind. And so these things she models for us, prayer, perseverance, praise, patience. Let's go back to our story now. So in the process of time, she conceives, she has a son, she names him Samuel. He's going to grow up here to become a prophet. He's also going to be a judge of Israel. He's going to be this transitionary figure between the period of the judges into the period of the kings. But for now, he's just a little baby. Verse 21 Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Now remember, she she made a vow to God. And so Elkanah goes every year for the feast to the tabernacle there in Shiloh and For a while, Hannah's like, not quite ready to turn him over. And for good reason. You know, perhaps she wants to delay the inevitable. Who who would blame her? Um, Turning over her child. Um, But on the other hand, she wants to wait till he's been weaned. And so she says, well, not yet. I'm not going to go just yet until the child is weaned. and, and, And then I'll appear before the Lord and he'll remain there forever. And so it says that Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. In other words, be, you know, be true to your word. Be true to your vow. And then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And it says, And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her. So then the question becomes, how old is Samuel here based on, you know, when would he have been weaned? And so we don't really know. You read different things. Bible scholars say around age two, he would have been weaned. Some say three, some say five. I read one commentary that said 12. I was like, 12? 12. Shouldn't he go on to the bottle way before that? But actually the word in Hebrew for weaned means no longer dependent on his mother. And so that's why some scholars say it doesn't necessarily literally mean nursing. It can just mean that he's old enough that he's no longer dependent on his mother. So that's why some say 12. But most Bible scholars believe that he was probably much younger and that he was somewhere between three to five years of age. Now, I want you to try to imagine this. You are a mom and a dad for that matter. But I mean, the heart of a mother, especially for a child that she has prayed for for years, is about ready to take her little boy to the house of the Lord and turn him over to Eli the priest and let him grow up there in the tabernacle. This is no easy thing. Don't read your Bibles and just think, oh, well, you know, that was just simple for her to do. No, this is a real-life person with real-life feelings and a real-life family here and a real-life son that she's been praying for, and now she's going to fulfill a vow that she made to the Lord here. So this is, this is just painful to even, you know, I mean, some of you, 
had this week your, your, your child maybe first day of school and you're like, you know, weeping that your child went to school, but your child's coming home. But think about if you had to actually take your child to school and never come home. I mean, that's a whole different, that different set of emotions here. This is what she's going to be dealing with here. And so it, it, it says that when, verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. So she's going to uh, bring an offering here, with, with uh, make a sacrifice with the bulls and the, the flour and the skin of wine. And it says, and the child was young. Okay, that's how we know probably wasn't 12. He's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five. And then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And he said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am. And she said, rather, this is Hannah speaking. Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord, and so they worshiped the Lord there. There you have it again. They're worshiping Him on the front end and the back end. They're not waiting for God to answer this prayer. They're going to worship God right up front because He's worthy of our praise just because of who He is. But now they're also worshiping Him. This is a very difficult thing. I want you to imagine this. And by the way, the language here when it says there in verse 28, therefore I've also lent Him to the Lord. Uh, and he shall be lent to the Lord. It can be translated, I surrender him to the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm fulfilling my vow. It's not like he's on loan in the sense like, you know, we loan somebody a coat. This is, he's, he's, she's actually surrendering her son to the tabernacle of God under the care of Eli the priest. And very challenging here. And, and she's worshiping. She's, she's, she's praising God for who he is. Lord, you, I've, I've asked for a child. You gave me a male child. And now that he's weaned, I'm giving him to you. I'm taking him to the tabernacle of the Lord. And chapter two is this prayer slash praise of Hannah's, uh, much, much of it. So let's read into chapter two. She, she prays. She's praising the Lord. And she says in verse one, it says, and Hannah prayed there. She is praying again. And said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. But notice that sometimes we, we don't necessarily rejoice in, in the moment because this is excruciatingly painful for her to have to part with her son. But we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. Not always in the circumstance, but we're praising him for who he is. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted to the Lord. A horn was a sign of strength, like an ox or a steer. Their horn was a sign of strength. So she's saying, my strength is in the Lord. I exalt him. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. This is a little vindication here for Hannah. You know, I, I don't think she's rubbing it in Penina's face the way the Penina rubbed it in her face, but I, maybe she's winking at least in her direction. Like, you know, like I smile at my enemies, Penina. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation, Lord. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Notice, she's just focusing on the character and nature of the Lord. You're unique in all your ways. You're holy. There's none like you. 
There isn't any rock like our God. And then verse 3, talk no more so very proudly. A warning to the proud and the arrogant. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. The bows, rather, of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. In other words, she's describing honor to the Lord. She's saying, you're sovereign in all, the, in all your ways, Lord. You make the poor rich, you make the rich poor, you, you, you make the weak strong, you make the strong weak, like everything is in your hands. I praise you for who you are. He says for, she says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king. This is a very interesting verse here, verse 10. The last part of verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn, or again the strength of his anointed. Now, This is before any king. Saul has not yet been selected as the first king of Israel. So this is a prophetic statement she's making here. And this is actually the first time in the Bible that there is a reference to the Messiah. Because the actual word for Messiah in Hebrew, Mashiach, means anointed one. We we translate it as Christ, Christ the anointed one. She says, he, God, will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed, of his Mashiach. And so this is actually one of the very first prophetic statements about the Messiah. And in fact, read the next verse, verse 11, then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child, that's Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And this is a statement that Young Eli is now going to be, or rather young Samuel is going to be ministering in the house of the Lord where Eli is. But uh, this wonderful prophetic little statement that, uh, that Hannah makes here about the coming king, the Messiah, prophetically, she speaks about him in advance of his coming because she sees the ultimate king of kings and Lord of lords and she gives praise to God the one who brings about his anointed one. So I'm going to stop there. It switches gears here to the wicked sons of Eli. So uh, this guy's got some really sinful sons. You know, these pastor's kids, you got to look out for them. They're just (laughs) kind of some wild guys. Uh, But uh, we'll get into that next time. But for the moment, let's just park it here because she gives this wonderful praise to the Lord. She gives this wonderful tribute to God, worships him for who he is, thanking him for his sovereignty, and even prophesying about the coming anointed one, Jesus, our Messiah. Father, we do worship you. We thank you for Hannah's example. 
the praise that she gave to you because you are worthy of our praise. Before you answer our prayers, after you answer our prayers, if our prayers never get answered the way we hope, you are still worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your anointed one, the King Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. We're just thankful that Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.